With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. It is good to have your company. I'm broadcasting from Sydney, Australia. It has just gone 3 p.m. on Thursday, of course. It is 4 a.m. in London and still Wednesday night across the United States of America, where the biggest story remains how the Colorado Supreme Court has banned Donald Trump from running on the primary ballot for president next year. It is front page everywhere. Today, a second state has moved quickly to take the same undemocratic course, and I'll give you the details on that. Plus, former Fox News host Tucker Carlson has weighed into this drama, as you would expect him to do, with some very pointed commentary. And I'll play part of that from Tucker Carlson in the program this hour. I'll also discuss the new guidelines released in England yesterday on how teachers should handle transgender issues. Yes, they've been waiting for this since July of this year. It's taken 12 months to formulate, but I've got to say it is well worth the wait because thankfully the Tory government has taken the opposite approach to the Biden administration. This has a great deal of common sense as opposed to what we're seeing in various states in the United States. And I've got to say it should be the template for just about every Western nation in the world. My special guest today is Dr. Pierre Corey, a world-renowned pulmonary and critical care specialist. He regards himself as a dissident, a dissident in the area of COVID vaccinations. But he says the evidence is now overwhelming and he wants the mRNA vaccines to be shelled. It's interesting, though, while they start to call themselves dissidents, I, I look at some of the latest data on booster shots in places like the UK, the United States and Australia. Booster shots are under 10%. Forget about what may have happened with the first and second COVID vaccines. We are under 10% in most of the Western world. So that tells me that if Pierre Corey calls himself a dissident, I would have thought the majority of people in the world were now dissidents to the benefits or lack thereof of mRNA vaccines. From down under today, Upper House New South Wales Independent MP Mark Lathan will be joining us for the last time, of course, on 2023. He's just returned from Taiwan, and this is a really good time to look at what Taiwan is up to. They're in the middle of an election campaign. They've got an election on the 13th of January. It's just three weeks away, which sounds to me to be an awkward time to hold an election, but that's when it will be. We'll also discuss what China said after Australia refused to send a warship to assist the United States with security in the Red Sea. There is still a great deal of angst over the decision from the federal Labor government in Australia. I've also got Emeritus Professor Ross Fitzgerald joining us today to discuss well, the darker side of Christmas, the side of Christmas that we don't like to talk to, talk about too much, the side that includes loneliness, a lot of separation, clashes between family members, which we all know a little bit about, and when alcohol and a lot of it seems to be normalised at Christmas time. We'll talk about that 
with Ross Fitzgerald. And the talkback lines, they are all yours. This is your chance to have your say. There's no ceiling and opinion right here, and uh, you can get it off your chest at the same time. You can do that from the United States or Canada on one 888 201-6425 from the UK on 033-0024-1026 and from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Let's get straight into this. You're with Chris Smith broadcasting live on the Global News Talk Network. It's tntradio.live. Be a part of the conversation. I want representation I can trust. Have your say. Biden isn't doing enough. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, it has finally landed. New transgender guidelines released by England's Department of Education. Now, schools were expecting this back in July. Um, There was word in July that it was only weeks away. Well, we had to wait until December to see the guidelines that have been mapped out. And um, such is the extent of transgender activism within government, within the public service and the bureaucracy, that it takes this long to nut out what might be able to be approved at the end of the line. So the rules have been etched out. Uh, One of the key guidelines allows teachers to ignore requests from students who want to socially transition at school. Now, this puts the power back in the hands of those who should have the power, which are the adults, the instructors, the teachers, not the pupils. That is the opposite onus that exists in the rules and regulations that have been distributed through various states in the US. This has been necessary because there's been an increasing number of children in schools right across the world questioning their gender. And they question their gender, buoyed, of course, by concerted campaigns in the public sector over transgender affirmation and via woke teachers unions that have become rather militant on this topic. And the more you invite impressionable kids to consider the possibilities of anything vaguely forbidden, vaguely unspeakable, which is what transgender and transitioning from one gender to another has been for many, many decades, of course you'll have more convinced of their changed status and the fact that they would consider it more seriously. But these guidelines, I think, push back against this dangerous movement somewhat by allowing teachers and staff to not accept the adoption of new pronouns. They don't have to do that. They can call children he or she or boy or girl or the usual way in which it was used in classrooms for many centuries. And more than that, in a reversal of trends from what's being accepted in the United States, English teachers must now tell parents if their child wants to change their gender identity, as should be the case. Now, the right and proper course is to inform parents because they are the real true guardians, legally, notionally, of their own children, not the local school principal. Now, in the United States, the argument goes that parents should not be told because they won't allow their children to transition. Well, that's a parent's prerogative, I would have thought. It is not up to the school to deal with such serious personal issues outside of the family unit. 
Now, there is an exception to this rule under these English guidelines, which allows the school to withhold such information if by revealing it, the news could put a child at significant risk of harm, which I think is fair enough. But inherent in these guidelines is the scientific fact that biology dictates the gender of a child, and that biology cannot be changed by puberty blockers or surgery. It states that schools and colleges have specific legal duties that are framed by a child's biological sex. The transitioning of a child is being referred to as social transitioning under these guidelines, another important point. Uh, Kemi Badenoch, the US Minister for Women and Equalities, said the guidance aims to give teachers and all those school leaders greater confidence when dealing with this issue. It's an issue, she says openly, which has been hijacked by activists misrepresenting the law. This is guidance that schools have asked for because they are uh, struggling with dealing with what is a relatively new phenomenon of children questioning their gender. This is a very serious, uh, this is a very serious thing uh, and social transitioning, as we've described in the guidance, is not a neutral act and it is something that parents should be made aware of at the earliest opportunity. A little bit of common sense goes a hell of a long way. It's such an interesting contrast, though, to see what central premise is being laid down in black and white in England, as opposed to the dangerous and woke edict being pushed onto school boards in the United States, where transition is encouraged. It's considered some kind of rite of passage and removes parents from even knowing what their child is dealing with, which is entirely wrong. Now, I know which set of guidelines I'd like my children's school to adopt, and it's definitely not the ones being aggressively pushed by the Biden administration and his blue state governors. Is it any wonder that parents are initiating legal challenges to decisions made inside US schools under this kind of pro-transition culture? Parents have every right to know what their children are up to. The English have understood that. In the United States, that's not so clear. A copy of these English education guidelines on transgender issues, I would have thought, should be used worldwide because they don't ignore the, biolog the biological facts. As Education Secretary Gillian Keegan said in a press conference this week, the guidance removes any confusion about the protections that must be in place for biological sex and single-sex spaces and making clear that safety and safeguarding for all children must always be the school's primary concern. Well said. And she says parents' views must also be at the heart of all decisions made about their children. And nowhere is that more important than with decisions that can have significant effects on a child's life for years to come. Those years of a child's growth are far too delicate to be used as some kind of gender and sex experiment by faceless activists within the education bureaucracy. That's got to stop. It's been a while since I've said this, but bravo to the Tory party, which has finally got something significantly important, perfectly right. Let's hope that when they're booted out of office next year, the new Labor government has the same respect for parents' rights and the dangers trans activism poses to the lives of children.
This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down. Thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism. And, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two went attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far thelightpaper.co.uk Today's News Talk Radio I do a lot of streaming radio I do a lot of free streaming TNTradio.live Well in the first nine months of 2023 158,000 more Americans died unexpectedly than those who died in 2019 in the same period That's more than all US combat deaths since World War II combined Now, in the United Kingdom last week, the Times newspaper reported that hundreds more middle-aged adults have been dying each month since the end of the pandemic. The paper claimed obesity and NHS backlogs are to blame. Excess deaths, of course, are officially recorded in numerous nations at the moment. Authorities blame everything from long COVID to extreme heat. But they're reluctant to concede that their COVID response measures are to blame, including the experimental COVID vaccines. And no government seems to be willing to have a full inquiry into their excess deaths. My next guest will take this head on. Dr. Pierre Corey is a pulmonary and critical care specialist. He's a founding member, president and chief medical officer of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance. He was Chief of the Critical Care Service and Medical Director of the Trauma and Life Support Centre at the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Corey is considered one of the world pioneers in the use of ultrasound by physicians in the diagnosis and treatment of critically ill patients. Dr. Pierre Corey, welcome to TNT Radio. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure. How alarming are excess death rates to the profession at the moment? You know, to the profession, I don't know. I, I, I don't think this is being talked about as much as it should. I mean, that, that's really the problem. I mean, I have now written with uh, my partner, Mary Beth Pfeiffer, who's an investigative journalist. We, we've published now three major op-eds in, in major media outlets. So in, in the U.S. here, we published one in USA Today, which is a largest circulation newspaper in the country. Uh, we did one in Newsweek. And then we did one on, on the Hill a week ago. 
And so, and that last one seemed to start a little bit of a news cycle. So now I do think people are paying attention and they're talking about it because like you said, the data is absolutely shocking. And also these attempts at coming up with explanations like obesity and global warming. And I mean, the vast majority of those alternative explanations are absolutely just absurd. They are absurd because, because when you start to even just superficially start looking at this data on excess deaths, it's the timing, the temporal association, especially related to not only the vaccine rollout, but in particular in this country, the vaccine mandates, because it was in the third quarter of 2021 when you started to see universities, healthcare institutions, um, corporations, Fortune 500 places, they all started mandating the vaccine. And you saw unprecedented rise in the deaths of young people. And, you know, th- those are, you know, sectors of society that are the healthiest tradition. Now, you're talking about young employed with group life health insurance. So in this country, for those who have group life health insurance, it's generally Fortune 500 companies. And so these are people at the tops of their career, usually the most healthy, most educated, financially well off. And we started to see year to year rise in death rates. And by the way, COVID wasn't killing young, healthy, you know, educated people. And suddenly you saw this explosion in these death rates. And, you know, here's the thing. So many younger working age people are dying. The government can't ignore this anymore. And governments are trying to ignore this around the world, but they're sitting on really uncomfortable data. You you mentioned the UK has similar data. I actually don't know Australia's data um, as much, but we can't answer this question until our agencies take an honest and transparent account of the data, but they're not doing it. I I mean, it's shocking. Aren't they doing it? Are they not doing it because they don't want to find out what the answer is? I, I cannot come up with any other answer than what you just said. I mean, if there was really, if, if the seriousness is, un, is undisputed, the cause is either unknown or they don't want to know, right? But clearly there's no really sufficient pragmatic cause that has been identified. You can't do, and they'll try to just throw everything in. Yeah, this backed up, uh, backed up uh, healthcare. No, that's not what it is. Um, uh, it not you can't have backed up healthcare suddenly causing this huge spike at a specific time in the pandemic. You you would see a general increase, but we can see these temporal associations, and it, it's not you know deaths of despair, suicide. We because we know the causes of death, and it's not COVID. These are largely non-COVID deaths, non-alcoholic, non uh, you know suicide, and so you know it, it's clear that there's only one thing missing from that laundry list, and it's the one thing that you cannot speak its name. Yeah, it's almost unspeakable. Okay, the correlation, just as an outsider to me, seems to be indisputable. The correlation seems to be yep. indisputable. You mentioned the timing, etc. What about causation? If an inquiry were held in the United States tomorrow, a significant inquiry, would we get to the bottom of this? Would we find causation? So for causation, you would need to have more granular data. So you need data on actual vaccination status and then comparative death rates, and then some correlation between uh, date of vaccination and death. 
Now, that's where New Zealand comes into the picture, right? Because the importance of this New Zealand story, which also is not very well publicized, right? But this whistleblower, this database administrator, who essentially leaked um, data on a couple of million people in New Zealand, that data had date of death, vaccination, centers, and what is found there is absolutely damning. And it actually does show strong evidence of causation of the vaccination campaign with uh, with extremely elevated death rates. And I'm sorry, but I, I've been studying this issue for quite a while now. The data is overwhelming that the vaccines cause death. They are deadly intervention. And They've been trying to cover that up with this safe and effective nonsense at the medical journal level um, for throughout the pandemic. But, you know, the medical journals are controlled by pharma. We know that there's wealth of evidence over decades. So, of course, you're not going to see an honest appraisal published in a major impact medical journal. But you can't hide the life insurance data. That's money. The money guys are talking now. Right. I mean, they're paying out insane amounts of claims to young people. And what happens to your bottom line when you're a life insurance company and you're paying death claims to 30-year-olds, 35-year-olds who have not paid in for that long? I mean, this is massive losses. And insurance and uh, life insurance and trade industry uh, articles are now really starting to sound the alarm. Yeah. Do you see COVID vaccines as a likely factor in the rising cancer rates and cardiovascular-related deaths? 100%. Again, in more of the, the more carefully done analyses that I've seen, again, not published in, in, um, in major medical journals because they, they would never publish that. But um, we, we're definitely seeing, again, temporally associated skyrocketing rates of certain types of cancer. And by the way, um, I've never heard the words turbo cancer until 2021. That's not, a, that's not a word that's ever been used around cancer. And now we literally have a clinical entity that we're calling turbo cancer. And met, quite a few clinicians are talking about it. it it's cancers that are, that are advancing and growing so rapidly um, that diagnosis to death in many cases is greatly shortened. Now, cancer is a deadly disease. We know that, but it's generally a slow death. Um, and here we're seeing early diagnoses and then deaths following in, in weeks to maybe one or two months. And that that is truly shocking. And that's also something new that's temporarily associated with the vaccination campaign. So how would the mRNA vaccines expedite cancers? Ah, few different reasons why. So we do know that they cause immunosuppression. Um, they do affect um, certain um, mutations, certain genes or enzymes that actually literally monitor for mutations. So the, the, the P53 gene, um, we know that it suppresses the activity of P53. So your, your kind of surveillance for your own cancer is impaired. Immunodeficiency causes increased rates of cancer. And then the most disturbing, and this is the one where we really need more, but now we know over the last few months, it's well known now that every single vial of Moderna and Pfizer is contaminated with immense amounts of fragments of DNA and DNA plasmids. And some of those fragments have sequences in them, which not only promote integration into the genome, but some of them are actually cancer promoting. And so we don't have that data definitively, but I think there's a number of reasons as to why you're seeing turbo cancer. And for me personally, my, my leading hypothesis, and I can't prove this, but I do think it's that DNA contamination with cancer-promoting sequences 
that probably is what's driving uh, these turbo cancers and the increased rates. That's my guess. Uh, doctor, I just need to take a 30-second break for news. We'll come back after that and continue this, what is a fascinating conversation. Dr. Pierre Corey is my guest today on TNT Radio. Here's a little news flash. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Hamas has released a video praising Australia, Canada and New Zealand for backing calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. The US is losing interest in Ukraine as its seemingly endless stream of cash dries up and it's been revealed Chinese President Xi Jinping delivered a blunt message to Joe Biden during their meeting in California warning Beijing will reunify Taiwan with the mainland and says Washington must mind its own business. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. My special guest today, Dr. Pierre Corey. Doctor, I want to return to the New Zealand story that you pointed to, and I have covered this in several ways on this program and tried to get to the bottom of why the New Zealand authorities would lock this bloke up. His name's Barry Young, an IT worker accused of dishonestly accessing New Zealand vaccine data. He's pleaded not guilty in the Wellington District Court on Monday. He's next to appear in court on the 23rd of February. How important has he been as a whistleblower? And I just wonder, how much we can replicate what he has found in other countries around the world. Yes. So how important is, I think he's usually important because, you know, I guess I'm in like this medical dissident movement, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm close colleagues with a number of outspoken public experts in various fields um, who've been really concerned about the vaccine data since the beginning. And, you know, one other thing um, that I want to mention, Chris is, you know, VAERS, right? All the vaccine injury reporting systems have been exploding since the rollout. And what have all of our government agencies done? Uniformly dismissed it as not, uh, right, not, not causative. You know, correlation is not causation. They're literally ignoring all of these warning systems. But here you have the whistleblower finally providing the data that we have been screaming at our public health agencies for. We want to see granular data of vaccination status and outcomes, right? And so, so this data is available. We know the agencies have them. So for instance, some of the best data that we had on outcomes of vaccinated versus unvaccinated, there was one time where Australia was pretty transparent with it. Scotland was transparent with it. ONS in the UK was transparent with it. But then you saw at certain time points, suddenly they were announcing that they were no longer publicly making that data available. Now, why would they? And I remember there was one reason, I think ONS put the reason, is that they felt that if they continue to publish that data, it would lead to people misinterpreting the data. So the data shows that the vaccinated were dying in hospitals more, entering hospitals more, far more the unvaccinated, but yet we might misinterpret that. So they're not going to We can't handle it. the truth, Pierre. We can't <laughs> handle the truth. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's absurd. And so for those of us who've been working in this space and studying and researching, we see these brazen actions. And so going back to your question, now, how important is this? So 
for us, it's important. It, it finally gave us the strongest data, but now we know the playbook, right? They're going to start. Um, they're going to start dismissing the data as unreliable, as unvalid, as manipulated. They, they can come up with any story they want, but the data actually matches everything else we've been saying. It matches what I was telling you about the life insurance industry. I mean, it it's totally fits in line. But now you have this ability to to really look at the vaccination status and make much more robust conclusions. But you know what? If the media doesn't carry the story and the public health agencies don't do the analysis, I mean, one interesting thing I'm sure you've talked about is that I can't rem I can't pronounce the name of their health service in New Zealand. Um, it's it's an indigenous name, I think, or native uh, New yeah. Zealand name. But they have not said that the data was inaccurate, right? All they said is that it was illegally released, but they they haven't said that it wasn't real data. So. I don't know. And can I just interrupt there, Pierre? This is exactly the point. The New Zealanders were infatuated with going after this bloke because he had a computer he shouldn't have had at home, as opposed to getting to the point of the investigation, which was, does the data tell us that vaccines are killing people? And that's exactly right. I mean, the, just look at the behaviours and you can't, it, you can't help but come up with a very cynical answer. I mean, it, it's clear that they don't, they're, they're angry at him because he's revealing some truth that they don't want the public to know because it will show that they are culpable, that not only that they were probably aware of how deadly this is, um, but actively either didn't look at it or knew and didn't want to know. I mean, th this guy's not even a medical researcher, but he saw the data was so shocking to him. He actually, I think, felt morally compelled. He's one of the true you know, uh, morally affected people who did something very courageous. And he knew he was putting himself in harm's way and he did it anyway. And I commend him and I, I have uh, much admiration for him and I wish him the best, but he, he's, he, he's going to go up against some pretty powerful folks who are not happy with him. You called yourself a dissident about five minutes ago in this interview. I wonder whether you are a dissident when you consider that the take up for uh, booster shots around the Western world at the moment is under 10%. Maybe the rest of the world are dissidents too. I think so. You're, I, I like that point. I really appreciate that. I think that when I say dissidents, we've been trying to put out what we think is the true and accurate picture of many facets of COVID, which so many facets completely contradict these official narratives and policies. But in our journey, in our fight of over three years now, I think that truth is getting out and it's showing up in the actions of the average citizen on earth, just like you mentioned. I mean, they're tired of these vaccines. There's probably a number of reasons why the uptake is so low, but I think their knowledge that they don't work and or that they're dangerous, they are staying away, period. Yeah, without doubt. And a story today that I picked up on was the fact that in the United States, there are now 27 candidates and 21 elected officials from 11 states publicly stating that the COVID shots must be pulled off the market. Groundswell is starting. That I saw yesterday. In fact, uh, Mary Tally Bowden, another very prominent medical dissident uh, out of Houston, she she actually texted me to alert me about uh, what she's doing and that they have this list. And I was shocked to hear it was so many. And, you, you know, that, that's, a, that's a growing population of, of prominent politicians that are openly calling for the cessation of this uh, vaccine. Most media, though, most mainstream media is still ignoring the issue of, <clears throat> excuse me, excess deaths. 
despite running a, a COVID fear campaign in 2020 when deaths were actually lower than they are today. How long can the media get away with this? I guess that's a media question, not for a doctor. Yeah, that's a good question. And you're right. I, I shouldn't be opining on the media, but I do. I, I, I observe things and, you know, I have seen data that viewership and trust of, of major media is really plummeting. And and they don't seem to be changing their behaviors, you know. And, and I got to tell you, as a physician, I kind of taught my trainees two things when taking care of a, a an ill patient. I would say, you know, the two guideposts are don't fix what ain't broke, meaning if the patient's doing well, they're on a good trajectory, just keep doing what you're doing. But if what you're doing is not working, you got to change what you're doing. And whatever <laughs> what the media is doing is leading to, you know, in you know, just – consistent decreases in trust and viewership. All, independent and alternate media is absolutely skyrocketing. And that's really the only place where you can find uh, true data, open discussions, nuanced discussions, and and really you can get at what's really going on. And, and so I don't know how long the media can do it. I mean, remember who pays them, right? So, I mean, they get immense amounts of money from the pharmaceutical industry and other corporate interests. And so uh, you know, he who pays the piper uh, calls the tune, and they're still calling the tune, and they're still playing that tune. But I, I don't know how much advertising is going to save them in the end. Clearly, COVID vaccines can kill and cause very serious adverse reactions. Do you have concerns about other vaccines? Should we be worried about the flu vaccine that seems to change every year? Should we be worried about vaccines for children? I do hope we don't have to worry about that. Um, so because of what I learned about the COVID vaccines, I did uh, a fair amount of investigation to the rest of the childhood schedule, as well as flu vaccines. Um, I would say two books are absolutely stunning in their accuracy, how well cited they are, and their analysis of the childhood vaccine schedule. Uh, and those two books are one is called Turtles All the Way Down, and the other one's called Dissolving Illusions. Um, if you read those two books, and I think it's almost impossible to come to any other stance after reading those books different than what I have now, which is I have three daughters. They're fully vaccinated according to the CDC schedule, but they're also older. My youngest is 14. If I had young children today, they would not receive one single vaccine, period, period. For the same period. reasons that we should be skeptical of the mRNA vaccines, because they're not mRNA vaccines, are they? D different reasons. Um, I, but the same in terms of the risks and benefits of those vaccines, in my uh, estimation, my analysis of the data supporting them, the risks far outweigh the benefits. The benefits have been consistently overstated for over 100 years. Um, if you learn the true story of the smallpox epidemic and the polio epidemic, um, the vaccines did not end those, those epidemics. Um, they had almost no effect to worsening those. And that is the truth. And those are the two biggest myths about vaccines is that they uh, eradicated childhood illnesses. The data does not support that. Most childhood illnesses historically in last century were eradicated through improvements in uh, sanitation, irrigation, hygiene. 
And, and, and most of the death rates for almost all of those childhood illnesses that we vaccinated were plummeting well before vaccines were introduced. In fact, if you look at some of the curves, the mortality curves of those childhood illnesses, they were approaching near zero, minimal, and then suddenly the vaccine gets introduced. And then we're, tra- we're taught for 50 years that it's the vaccines that eradicated those, those childhood illnesses. It's absolutely false. There's no data to support that. And polio epidemic is a very complex story. Um, it's a fascinating story. But to believe that the vaccine actually ended polio is absurd. That has been well looked at. It was even questioned at the time. Um, and by the way, those were toxic vaccines, and they were covered up by our government here in the United States. I mean, many, many children uh, were injected with um, uh, contaminated uh, polio vaccines that had live virus in it. Many, many thousands of kids were paralyzed as a result of those vaccines. And so um, the, the polio is a complicated story. Smallpox is, is, is probably even better understood and documented, but I'm sorry, I I just don't see uh, a role for childhood vaccines. And the second thing is, here's what's also similar to COVID, what's being ignored, is we have in this country, we have an explosion in chronic illness amongst children, from allergies to autoimmune diseases, to ADHD, to autism. And yet you'll hear singing from the rooftops of every agency and every medical journal that there's no link between vaccines and autism. That is absolutely lie. That is a lie. The childhood vaccines are highly associated with autism and the, and the rising uh, rates in autism in our country can clearly be correlated with the vaccines. And, and yet, again, similar to our discussion today, where are the really good studies? They've done fraudulent studies concluding that uh, autism isn't a cause. But we now have in the United States, I think it's 54% of American kids are on a prescription medicine which was not the case 30 years ago. Um, and, and you can see so much of the chronic illnesses are completely overlapped with this um, uh, liability shield law that we gave the vaccine manufacturers in 1986. And then the, the schedule in, in the United States exploded. Now a full CDC schedule for someone born today, I think involves 72 or more even injections. When I, I was born in 1970, I think my schedule, uh, if you totaled everything I got, it was 12 injections. Now it's 72. I mean, we, we are vaccinating for anything and everything we can in these yeah. kids. And it affects their immune system. It's all, ha- all of the vaccines have immunogens, which enhance the immune response. So you wonder why suddenly everyone has these allergies and autoimmune diseases. I mean, we're, we're absolutely decimating the immune systems of our kids, and we're causing immense amounts of problems for them. And so I want my kid healthy. I, I would also recommend to your audience to read the new, a recent book by uh, Dr. Uh, Brian Hooker and, and uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., which is called Vax or Unvax. And there is, it's absolutely astounding. The health of unvaccinated children far exceeds those that, that are vaccinated. I mean, 72 injections. And, and then, then absurdities like in our, in our country, they vaccinate against hepatitis B on the first day of life. Hepatitis B on the first day of life. Yes. What's the point? You've opened up a Pandora's box with discussions about childhood vaccination. Maybe that's a discussion even for another day. Thank you so much for your time. Chris, can I make one more point? Because your your last statement about, yes, you want to move away from correlation, go to causation. But I want to say something about that, is that historically, when you launch a new medicine or medical intervention, any adverse event that's reported, let's say it's a death or a side effect, 
The regulatory standard is to assume that it's causative until proven otherwise. What has been upended in regulatory uh, behavior in COVID is suddenly with this COVID vaccine, everything reported is assumed to be unrelated until proven related. So Chris, I wanna say it's not up to us to prove that the vaccines are causing death. It's up to them to prove that it's not causing death. I mean, we had hundreds of reports of death within weeks of the rollout of the vaccine. What did our agencies do? Nothing to see here, nothing to see here, right? So that is a significant point. I'm so glad you made it. It's more, more than a footnote. It's a very significant point in this particular issue. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. And have a Thanks. Merry Christmas too, by the way. You too, Chris. Definitely. Thank you very much. Dr. Pierre Thank Corey, you. how interesting is he? And we'll try and get him on the program in the early part of 2024 as well. Happy to take your calls on all of that or more right here on TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Did Joe Biden just defraud the federal government? Is he guilty of theft of services in filing a false document? What am I talking about? Well, Marine One isn't free. Passengers have to be listed on the official passenger manifest and they're billed for the transportation between Joint Base Andrews and the White House, just as passengers on Air Force One are billed by the Air Force. So who was on the helicopter but wasn't on the manifest today? Well, that would be one Hunter Biden. Can you just imagine the outcry, the calls for impeachment, and likely a criminal and a civil trial against President Donald Trump if it had been Don Jr., Eric, Laura, Ivanka, Jared, Tiffany, or Baron Trump? that it hitched a ride for free. We don't need to ask the question. We all know what the hue and cry would be. And again, it's the double standard that is intolerable. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing. Nurturing. Rescuing. Honoring. Protecting. Caring. Inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes, across all missions, has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, wasn't that a really interesting interview? Um, one of the most preeminent specialists in his specialty um, that you'll have on this program. And he said it very, very sensibly, great deal of common sense. And this business about, you know, Pierre being some kind of dissident, have a look at the booster shots at the moment. And I noticed... In the United Kingdom yesterday, the NHS 
was decrying the fact that their staff weren't getting boosters. Well, why do you think the staff were not getting boosters? Because you led them up the garden path during the pandemic and they don't trust you anymore and they don't trust mRNA vaccines anymore. That's why. You can't go from 90-odd percent in a country down to 9% at most and think that something hasn't happened in the meantime. And it's not that people think that COVID-19 can't kill you. People still are fearful after they've been frightened, senseless during the pandemic, but they just don't believe in the vaccines like they used to. They've seen and heard and read too much since that time. Now, stack of feedback coming through on the chat box, which you can participate in on our website, tntradio.live. Stack, Daniel says, um, he says, at last some common sense. Now, he was referring to what I opened up with in this program, which is the fact that the UK now have some transgender guidelines for teachers and schools. And as he was saying in his chat box comment, at last some common sense, and that's exactly what it is, the kind of common sense that states in the US should be adopting as well. Um, another comment here. Uh, can we trust doctors anymore? I think not. Once again, it was Daniel's comment based on what we heard from Pierre. He was basically saying you can't trust doctors anymore because they are not prepared to have the data scrutinised as we've simply asked for. How about we scrutinise excess deaths? No, we can't have an inquiry into that because you know what would happen in Western countries if there was an inquiry into excess deaths, we would find out that the mRNA vaccines kill more people than what they assured us of, which means they'd all have their pants suit off. There'd be this massive case taken up by just about the entire population whereby governments, individuals, health departments and health officials would all be sued. That's why they don't want an inquiry. That's why they don't want some kind of scientific solution or answer as to why we're all suffering from excess deaths at the moment, because they're in the firing line, as they should be. Um, a couple of other comments here on the chat box. River from Scotland says, we the plebs cannot analyse the data, not like the experts can. You see, they think that we can't handle the truth. And they want to protect their sorry backsides in the uh, in the meantime. Um, some other comments coming through as well. Daniel says, how about we focus on health and fitness? And then there's no need for any type of synthetic vaccine. Uh, Warwick says, correct to that. Good point, says River. So there are conversations going on in our chat box by some listeners right around the corners of the globe. And it's good to see, and rightly so as well. I now want to get back to what is making headline news right across the United States still today. Now, yesterday on the program, we discussed how blue state governors would move very quickly to replicate what happened yesterday in Colorado. We were speaking with the Lion of Liberty, Brian McWilliams, about this very point. Now, that state Supreme Court, as you know by now, deemed Trump ineligible to appear on the Colorado ballot due to his alleged role in inciting the January 6th Capitol riots. The court held that Trump's actions, although not proven, Trump's actions disqualify him under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, making him constitutionally prohibited 
from standing for presidential re-election. Now, when I read that, I think to myself, they have come to the conclusion, the legal conclusion that he was part of an insurrection, despite the fact that he wasn't even at the, the Capitol when they turned up, despite the fact that no one was brandishing arms, none of that happened. He was in the White House at the time. He wasn't anywhere near the Capitol building and then put out a call, as we all know, for calm. And now the dominoes have already begun to fall, as we suggested in that conversation we had yesterday. In a letter obtained by Politico, California Lieutenant Governor Alini Kunalakis has call, called on the California Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, to, quote, explore every legal option to remove former President Donald Trump from California's 2024 presidential primary ballot. Of course, California would be the next domino to fall. Now, the letter is dated December 20, 2023. It draws inspiration directly from that split Supreme Court ruling, Anderson versus Griswold. And, and it's worth noting, just as an aside, it was a split ruling. It was four to three. There were three other Democrat-appointed judges on that Supreme Court who thought that this was the wrong direction to take. Democrat appointments. Now, in her letter, Larkas emphasizes the significance of upholding the rule of law and protecting the democratic foundations of the nation. She argues that California must follow Colorado's lead and investigate whether Trump's eligibility for the state's ballot is compromised by the same constitutional concerns. Now, the letter urges Secretary Weber to swiftly emphasizing that the constitution mandates eligibility requirements, including, listen to this, not being an insurrectionist, making it imperative to ensure adherence to these principles. In closing, the Lieutenant Governor underscores the gravity of the situation, asserting that this is not a matter of political gamesmanship, but a crucial issue that points the sanctity of the Constitution and democracy at stake. Not gamesmanship, really? Pull the other one. What rot? Of course, it's gamesmanship. It's actually a political war being waged and being waged through the democratic appointed sections of the judiciary. That's what's going on. It's another branch of exactly what they did with those attorneys general to try and slam indictments on Donald Trump. It's just another branch of that. They're using the judiciary for political purposes and all based on no finding whatsoever in any court or Congress that Trump led an insurrection. Never been proved, probably never would. It's as if the US administration has decided that a person is guilty first before being proven innocent. They've got to prove their innocence. Well, at least if your name's Donald Trump, you have to. And that is the antithesis of the American constitution. Meanwhile, Tucker Carlson has summed up the decision from the Colorado Supreme Court rather well. In a three-minute editorial on X today, the former Fox News host asked, is this the actual end of democracy? This was pretty puzzling to watch. Whatever else January 6th was, and in some ways we still don't know exactly what it was, it was not a Trump-led insurrection. The crowd had no guns. They had no plan to overthrow the government. Nothing like that has ever emerged. 
And above all, Trump was not leading it. He was miles away at the White House at the time, where he issued a public statement calling for calm and nonviolence. So why were the people on television telling us that Trump led an insurrection? This was, of course, a lie, but it was also a very obvious lie. So clearly we were watching the rollout of a talking point, words crafted for a specific purpose. But what was the purpose? We got an answer to that question yesterday when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that because he led an insurrection, Donald Trump's name cannot appear on the state's ballot next fall. The four liberal judges who concluded this cited as their justification Article 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was written in 1868 to keep former Confederate officials from holding office. That was the sum total of their reasoning. Despite the fact Donald Trump has never been convicted by any court of insurrection, and although the 14th Amendment specifically does not apply to the presidency, Donald Trump cannot run for president because he's an insurrectionist. This seemed like lunacy because it was lunacy. 3,000 miles away in El Salvador, there was no question about what was happening. The United States has lost its ability to lecture any other country about, quote, democracy, wrote Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele. And yet in this country, no one on the left dared say that. Instead, Donald Trump's enemies celebrated. The Atlantic Magazine expressed gratitude that unelected judges had, quote, rescued the country from the desires of voters. Because actually, that's democracy. And then there was Jenna Griswold. That's the Colorado's Secretary of State. You may not have seen her before, but you will instantly recognize the category she represents. Unhappy 39-year-old liberal women with Ivy League degrees and a deep streak of authoritarian impulses. Here's Griswold on MSNBC last night explaining that a conventional legal process is no longer necessary for the left to get its way. No more trials or evidence or jury verdicts. An accusation made on television is now enough to remove a front runner from the presidential race. If Nancy Pelosi and Joe Scarborough call you bad, Americans are not allowed to vote for you watch. Look, I believe he incited the insurrection. There were big questions around Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and the Colorado Supreme Court has weighed in in a very loud way, making themselves clear. Frankly, we've never had a president try to steal the presidency and engage in insurrection uh, ever before. So Trump's actions are unprecedented. The Colorado Supreme Court confirmed that the district court got it right, that he did engage in insurrection. I think uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment has to apply to the presidency, because if not, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. And in a country of laws where no man is, is above another, um, we can't have one office be able to do whatever they want when it comes to rebellion and then be able to be seated in office again. None of this seems very American. All of it looks like the actual end of democracy. It's a fair question. Is it the end of democracy? Well, if you had to find an example from your current generation in the history of politics or the judiciary that indicates that democracy is in danger, that decision from the Colorado Supreme Court is the one because they have presumed that he is guilty of insurrection. Forget about whether you like Donald Trump or not. And I'm not a great fan of Donald Trump, except that I detest the way in which the judiciary is being used by the Biden administration to take him down. Detest it. And so I'm finding myself 
you know, warming to Donald Trump more than I ever have, even before he became president the first time. But even if you hate the bloke, you cannot accept what the Colorado Supreme Court did through their biased eyes. It's an outrage. It's not American. It's not democratic. It is the end of democracy where someone is proven by a Supreme Court without even being tried that they're guilty of a crime and therefore they can't stand for President of the United States. It's gross, absolutely gross. I should mention that both Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday and Ron DeSantis today have declared that they will both withdraw from the Colorado primary if Donald Trump is not on the ballot. Even Trump critic and fellow former presidential candidate Chris Christie agreed that the Colorado decision was undemocratic and unacceptable, he said. He hates Donald Trump. It really is a new low in the history of so-called democracy in the US. We will take a break. I'll come back next hour on the program with Upper House MP in New South Wales, Mark Latham, and so much more right here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio.